are listening to the Devil's Talking Potters podcast for East Village Times. Coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, here are your hosts, Dominic Stern and Bobby Murphy. Welcome in to another episode of Devil's Talking Potters. I'm Dominic Stern. Joined with me is Bobby Murphy, as always, here to talk about this past series against the Arizona Diamondbacks and preview the upcoming series against the Miami Marlins. Started off really rough uh, with a really bad loss in game one and then a slow start in game two. But after that, it kind of turned up and the Potters were able to win the series against the Diamondbacks, which was the bare minimum. They did it. You would have liked to sweep here against the lowly Diamondbacks, but you're you're thankful that you're able to win the series. And it's always tough to like go into a series depending on us a sweep. But um, you know, with the way the Diamondbacks have played this year, especially with the way they've played on the road, you would have really liked to sweep them, but that didn't happen today. Yeah, and I was at the game on Friday. Uh, I'm back in San Diego for the weekend, so it's fun to be there, but disappointing loss on Friday. Thank God we were able to win the next two games because that was huge. If we had lost either of the next two, uh, obviously would have resulted in a series sweep. So that would have been disappointing. But after Friday's game, I mean, best case scenario for the Padres the rest of the weekend. And as Darvish and Snell were just on for the two starts, and that was great to see, great to see from them. Yeah, the starting pitching really stepped up in those last two games. And it was the two really big names of the Padres went out and got this offseason, but starting pitching, it was very well documented coming into this past week and the trade deadline that it had been a weakness. And part of the weakness was because Ryan Weathers was a young rookie who his numbers, they showed that they, uh, they were a bit deceiving and he did not pitch well at all on Friday. It, it was a rough outing. He only went three innings after the Potters were up five, nothing in the second inning. And he allowed six earned runs. He only struck out one guy. And I'd, I'd kind of talked about how he doesn't have that strikeout pitch. He wasn't getting strikeouts, but he was getting outs. He wasn't able to get outs in this game as they're able to just rack up a ton of hits. And it was a ton of singles is what it really was, but he did not pitch well, but the Potters, they had plenty of opportunities to come back. I mean, they were down three runs in the fourth inning. We've seen the Potters do that plenty of times, but they just couldn't get anything going against the Diamondbacks bullpen. And that's, to be completely honest, pretty embarrassing considering that they are far and away the worst bullpen in Major League Baseball. And we talked about it on the podcast previewing the series, how bad their bullpen is. I didn't even like name any names because they're that bad. But Matt Peacock, he came in and just shut the Padres down. It was hard to watch. And he ended up getting four and two-thirds innings pitched on just 46 pitches. So the Padres, they weren't working counts at all. They weren't fouling off good pitches that were in the strike zone or the pitches that were breaking off the plate. It's just a lot of rough at bats. And it's not even like they hit the starter. Well, they just got lucky that he walked six batters in an inning and a third. And that's, that's not something to praise the Padres on. That's something that that's the opposing pitcher struggling. Yeah, and speaking of Max Peacock, we literally saw him get a, get a base loaded single. And it was just, I mean, great, great second inning for the, Padres, they had a Gr- Grisham Chiron homer, a Cronenworth bases loaded double, and then Myers grounded out, which scored a run. And there I was like, oh, like, great start. There's just no way that we lose this. And then 
it was that third and fourth inning were just bad. I mean, Weathers got the first six guys out of the game, and I was like, okay, he's looking good. Third inning, he allowed two runs. Fourth inning, he allowed a few more, and then Stamen allowed two two earned runs, but six runs in the fourth inning before we the Padres even got out, and that was just hard, just hard to watch. The energy from the ballpark just deflated right there, and Padres, Padres offense couldn't get anything going for the last seven innings of the game. It was a very tough game to watch. I think it was like the roughest game of the year because I mean the the loss before I think was the most heartbreaking loss. But when you consider that the Potters were up five nothing against the worst team in baseball, and record wise one of the worst teams we've ever seen, and they couldn't score from then on out, and they allowed the Diamondbacks to score eight unanswered runs. It was rough. Few bright shining spots. Adam Frazier. He got a three-hit game. Austin Nola and Trent Grisham each got two-hit games, including a Trent Grisham. Just I one of the worst home runs I've seen in my life. I mean, he just yanked it, and it hit about three inches above the black stripe on the foul pole, which the black stripe marks whether or not the ball would have cleared the fence or not. But all home runs, no matter how far they go, they all count the same. Uh, we've seen some Fernando Tatis Jr. 460-foot home runs. And there we saw a Trent Grisham 330-foot home run. They all count the same as long as it goes over the fence. So that was cool. And then Reese Kinnair, he came in out of the bullpen. The Padres had only seen him start. And in this game, he came in and threw two innings, scoreless with two strikeouts. After Weathers and Stamen struggled, it was good to see Kinnair just coming in and just pound the zone and pound the zone effectively. So those were the bright spots, but Ryan Weathers, he struggled really badly in this game and his ERA is now up to 4.26 and he's had two straight bad starts. And I think that Potter's fans should be very concerned with running Ryan Weathers out there. And I mean, listen, he's a rookie, so I don't think this is like a long-term like, wow, Ryan Weathers sucks, but he is not looking good right now. He's not throwing enough effective strikes. He's still figuring out how to pitch out of the strike zone at the major league level. And that's why his strikeout totals are so low. And it's been only a matter of time before the guys were hitting the balls were actually getting hits. And the last two outings, he's been getting hit hard. Besides Weathers and Salmon, the rest of the bullpen had a great game. Strom, Simpagon, and the rest of the lineup besides Frazier, Nola, and Grisham just did not really do anything today or on in game one, Sam went over four with two strikeouts. Weathers, I mean, at least Weathers scored a run. Manny, awful game, over five with a strikeout. Just the rest of the lineup probably did not do anything today. And we saw Weathers get hit hard for a second straight start. It's concerning. I, the lineup's just been super inconsistent. They haven't been able to like string runs together. Like it's just a bunch of like clumped in runs. Like they scored five in the second, didn't score the rest of the game on the second game, which we'll talk about. They had they scored four in the eighth, and I mean they scored two in the first and the second inning, but outside of that, nothing in between. And then in the third game, literally only scored with Jake Cronenworth base hits. So the offense is not in a great spot right now. And when you have starts like this from Ride Weathers, the Padres really stand no chance at winning. So it, it needs to be team wins right now, and we're not really seeing those from the Padres. So a little concerning on that point. Moving on to game two. Potters ended up winning this game six to two, but that is a lot bigger of a margin than this game felt. In the first inning, Manny Machado came out and hit a moonshot 
I mean, this ball almost got up on the top deck over the Western Metal Supply Company. And uh, if you're a Potters fan, you know how hard it is to hit a ball up there. Only two Potters players have ever hit it up there. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. and Hunter Renfro. And Renfro did it twice. So very rare. Manny got it up to the top deck, um, or I guess the third level. And then there's the there's the rooftop bar up there that uh, is very hard to get it up to. But he almost got it up there. In the top of the second inning, you Darvish, his lone blemish, he allowed a two-run home run to Christian Walker. This ball was hammered 428 feet. It hit off the little panel scoreboard uh, all the way down at the edge of the left center field section. So if you hit the ball over there, you know the ball is crushed. Um, those were the only runs the downbacks got. You Darvish ended up going seven innings, two earned, 12 strikeouts while allowing four hits and no walks. So... Very good start from him. Eric Hosmer was able to answer the two-run home run by Christian Walker with a solo home run of his own. And uh, the projection of 413 feet was merely that, a projection, because it hit the -the jack-in-the-box stand. Uh, If you've looked at Petco Park, you know there's the -the jack-in-the-box on right field hanging off the foul pole in fair territory, of course. But there's a little blue stand connecting it at the top of the foul pole. And it hit that blue part. It almost hit the jack-in-the-box, and I would have been really curious to see what the Potters would have done had it hit the jack-in-the-box head. Uh, that that would have been really cool. But once again, the Potters, they didn't score until the eighth inning. They stranded a lot of opportunities in this game. You'll talk about the team runner and scoring position in a little bit, I'm sure. Really rough game to watch. I mean, they missed out on a lot of opportunities, but in the eighth inning, they capitalized. They ended up scoring four runs. That was all they needed. Mark Melanson ended up coming in in a non-safe situation, but uh, he was warming up as soon as the Padres. I mean, he was probably coming in the top of the ninth regardless if they scored no runs, but I guess they didn't get anyone warmed up in in time. I was at the game. I wasn't looking at the bullpen at this time, so I couldn't tell you, but four runs in the eighth inning, the Melanson came in. He still has a zero ERA against teams below 500, so he's absolutely dominated those teams that continued in this game. But overall, great victory for the Padres here. And that Machado moonshot in the first inning, that was an absolute bomb. Love to see Hosmer hit another one or hit one of his own in the second inning. But Darvish had one of his best starts of the season. I know earlier in the season he was pitching phenomenally, but seven innings, only four hits, two runs on that one two-run homer in the second inning, and 12 strikeouts. I mean, is Darvish really needed this? He's been struggling a little bit before this start, and this will totally get him his confidence back. But I was getting nervous. Two-two in the eighth inning. If we if we had lost this game, Padres fans, Padres Twitter would have blown up, and it would have been a series loss to the Diamondbacks. So great eighth inning, Machado single to give us the lead. Grisham walked to bring it around, and then Noah singled, and Noah he the pinch hit single, two RBIs. That was awesome to see that. Anything for more cushion, we love to see, but. Only nine hits for the Padres in this game. And you said we left a lot of guys on base. Padres left seven on base. We hit three for 12 with Furnish and scoring position. And it was just tough to watch offensively, but we're still able to get six runs and the win. Yeah, the two scenarios that like really stood out to me was when Tommy Pham had a double with no outs. And then Adam Frazier hit a ground ball to the right side, which is what Frazier does because he has tremendous back control and he can do stuff like that, which he did then on purpose to move over Tommy Pham to third. Got him there with one out that Machado and Kern were struck out. And those are the two Padres' best hitters. You know, if, if they don't come through, 
uh, then I'd assume that no one else is going to come through in that situation. But uh, you, you want to try your best to put the ball in play. Uh, I'm not someone who's going to scream at them like, oh, come on, guys. All you do is put the ball in play because I understand these major league pitchers are really good and they are trying their best to strike you out and they're throwing 90 miles an hour and it's hard to hit the ball, but it's missed opportunities for sure. And then the following inning, the Potters had the bases loaded with no outs. Victor Caratini hit an infield pop-up and then you Darvish. Listen, with the when the Potters pitchers up with one out and the bases loaded, he just needs to put the bat on his shoulder and just strike out and let the leadoff batter do, do what he can. Because if you ground into a double play, which is what you Darvish ended up doing, you were literally killing the rally. And, you know, credit to you, Darvish. He, he hustled down the line. He tried to make it so that he didn't ground into an inning inning double play and it would have got a run across. But it's got to take the strikeout, let Tommy Pham give them a chance to score again. And by doing that, you also don't chase. But, you know, I, I think I could say that to you, Darvish, and say, like, hey, man, like, or even to the Potters coaching staff, you just got to take there. You just got to take one for the team and just let, Tommy Pham, the guy who gets paid to hit the baseball, do that. But there were some missed opportunities for sure, but thankfully they capitalized later in the game. And, you know, you you mentioned it would have been terrible if the Padres lost a series to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks have won one series in the second half so far. That came against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And looking at their schedule from the first half of the season, I mean, they won a series against Colorado in July. But other than that, they didn't win a single series since they split at the beginning of May with Miami and they won a three game series at home against Colorado from April 3rd to May 20th. So they've won two series since the month of May two and the Padres were basically on the verge. I mean, in both games, really, to be honest, of losing a series to the Diamondbacks, which would have been their third since like May fully kicked in, that would have been really bad. And it would have been their first on the road. The The two that they won were at home and they were two like last place teams. And the Potters are not a last place team, but when they play these last place teams, they play to their level and it continues to be problematic, which is unfortunate because the Padres, they haven't gained ground on the Giants of the Dodgers and the Reds who just swept the Pirates, a last place team are only two and a half games behind the Padres. So we'll take a look at the standings. We'll take a look at some of the schedules in a little bit and just talk about that, see where the Padres could find some opportunities. But thankfully that they, I guess, came from behind to beat the Diamondbacks. Wasn't really a comfort behind win because they're down by a one run in the second inning, but they're able to keep the Diamondbacks off the board for the last seven innings of the game in win the game game number three potters ended up winning this game two to nothing blake snell probably his best start of the year either this start or the start against the new york mets at home where he also went seven innings of scoreless baseball 13 strikeouts only walked three guys and he allowed only two base hits he was really good Madison bumgarner for the years on diamondbacks i've been saying that Madison Bumgarner isn't as bad as a lot of Padre fans have made him out to be. Uh, the Padres seem to have very good success against him in his first three starts against the Padres. The Padres have just killed him, but he had a good start. Seven innings, only six hits, two runs, one walk, five strikeouts. He only threw 80 pitches, so he technically 
could have gone a little bit deeper into the game, but the Diamondbacks needed to try and get some runs later in the game. So they had to pull him from the game. Snell was really good. Jake Fernworth was really good. He drove in the two runs of the game, a signal to drive in Adam Frazier, and then a home run in the fourth inning. That was the entire Padres offense in this game. Frazier had three hits. Cronenworth had two hits. Nola extended his hitting streak. Eric Cosmer got another hit. Outside of that, offense was very lackluster. And I said this jokingly with my friend after the game, because after the game on Saturday, because Trent Grisham was playing really well, and I knew that Bumgarner was starting on Sunday. And Jake Marisnik has been really good against lefties this year, and Trent Grisham has not. I mean, it's not sugarcoating it in any way. I said, I'm like, oh, can't wait to platoon for Trent Grisham tomorrow after he's had a really good series. And that's exactly what the Padres did. And they got zero production on the bottom of the order because of it. Uh, you could add Trent Grisham down there who was swinging a really hot bat. You really got to hope that doesn't carry over now that like his hot bat sat on the bench for a day. He went over one off the bench, but uh, that ruins his hitting streak. It, it's just not something you want to see. Like when, when a guy's doing well, you can say, all right. Let, let's let's skip out on the platoon for one game here. But what were your thoughts here on this 2 nothing win? Yeah, I mean, it really was the Snell and Cronenworth show. We saw Cronenworth make an amazing play at shortstop. We saw that his single and his home run over to the Crone zone. But phenomenal game from him. He went two for four with a run and two RBIs, the, the two RBIs, as you mentioned. And then Snell was just absolutely phenomenal. This is the Snell that the San Diego Padres traded for. And he was just... Awesome in this last game. Seven innings, two hits, didn't allow a hit until the fifth inning and had 13 strikeouts. He did walk three guys, so he's still having a little bit of command issues, but his stuff was looking great, and it was just so awesome to see him have another great start. I mean, he's been pitching a lot better, and this right here I think was his best start of the season. It's hard to tell which start was better, this one or the one against the Mets, but it doesn't matter because they were both seven scoreless. He's a big part of the reason why the Potters like needed started pitching. But I mean, if he's going to throw starts like this, or at least close to this, I mean, we talked about it five innings, one run baseball against the A's on the road is a good start. And it's a really good start considering what Blake Snell had been doing. So I think he's starting to get it back on track. I mean, it was pretty obvious that that started against Oakland the first time around was an outlier and he continued to pitch really well at home. And let me tell you, if the Potters find a way to sneak into the playoffs more than just the wildcard game, Blake Snell needs to be starting at home. And if they're somehow hosting the wildcard game, I don't think it would be a bad decision to start Blake Snell. And especially if you are starting the wildcard game against the Giants, you can start a lefty, have them throw in their righties and like go to Joe Musgrove or Chris Paddock or even you Darvish for a couple innings and because they're going to try and play matchups and you'd really kind of foil that. Uh, but we've seen that. We've seen that recipe for success from the Rays as they went to the World Series last year. But in that one game playoff, you could you could kind of try to do that. I think you can do that with some success too. But Blake Snell, he was great here. And I mean, there was a little bit of doubt later in the game. I think it was Nick Ahmed had a leadoff double in either the sixth or the seventh inning. But Snell was able to get around it. And that was really awesome to see because I mean there's been starts where he's been really good with runners in scoring position that has limited his ERA. I think today was another one of those games. He's able to throw 108 pitches. The Potters were going to give him an opportunity to go deeper into games and show that he has that stamina. This was one of those starts. I mean, 108 pitches, that's a lot. 
that is something you never saw him do in Tampa. And I'm sure he felt really good being able to throw 108 pitches and go seven innings and not get pulled in that seventh inning too. Personally, I wanted him to get taken out in that situation because there's a runner on base. You know, he was at that hundred pitch mark. Like he'd already shown a good start, but you know what? He went out there and he got, he got the job done, said, all right, let's go to Pagan. Let's go to Melanson. Let's walk out of here with the dub. And it's an awesome game from the Padres pitching staff here. And I'm just glad that he was able to get the win. I know that just the a Padres win is more important, but after a start like this, I'm glad he was able to get it. Uh, we, know, we know that Darvish did not get it on Saturday night. He got the no decision, but Gone came in for the eighth inning, pitched a perfect eighth, two strikeouts. Melanson struck out two in the ninth after allowing a leadoff double. And uh, I was I was scared. We've seen a lot of sketchy Melanson appearances, but if he had blown this, it, again, would have blown up Padres fans, Padres Twitter, would have been a hellhole, but Padres were able to pull, pull out a 2-0 win. Fraser had three hits. Cronenworth had two. And it was just just a great overall game by the mostly Snell and uh, and Cronenworth. Yeah, I mean, there's there hasn't really been like a sketchy Melanson outing, except for that one in Oakland, I mean, where he, where he blew it. But there hasn't been one that was like legitimately sketchy in a minute. And I mean, the leadoff double, but after that, I mean, he was pretty consistent. He got some help from the umpire, but he was throwing good pitches right off the plate. Like those are good pitches that the Potters got calls on, but he, he looked good after the double. You're seeing a lot of guys foul him off, but uh, it's because he's making good pitches and they're, they're making quality at bats. It's hard to get outs in those ninth inning. Like when those guys, they, those are their last chance. Like they're going to do everything to fight. That's why it's so important to have a good closer. And Melanson's been a good closer for the Potters this year. And Potters fans are just trying to run him off every single time. I know that we've come to have high expectations for our closers because that's consistently been the one thing that the Potters have like been good at is having good closers. But I think Melanson's right there with them. It wasn't his best outing on Sunday, but I mean, he struck out two guys. One of them was kind of lucky, but the other one, he's threw the cutter right by him. Like they're, they're cognizant of that nasty knuckle curve that comes in from over top. They can't tell if it's a cutter or if it's a curve from up top. Like he's really hard to hit. There's a reason he is a two, two, five ERA on the year. And I mean, Melissa has 33 saves. I know a lot of those are uh, from high leverage appearances. Potters are winning games. He's getting a lot of saves, a lot of opportunities, but I, I, I was, I'm starting to get scared. I know a lot of Padres fans are, but beside before the A start, before that A's blown save, he's been pitching. He was been pitching phenomenally and did struggle a little bit. But and for Snell, one of my favorite parts to see from this game was uh, he had his family at the game, including family member. Not sure how they're related, but Chicago Bulls star and Olympic gold medalist Zach Levine was in appearance in a Padres jersey. One of my favorite players in the league, and it's awesome to see to see him there rooting on Snell. I think that like either he is related to Blake Snell's girlfriend or his girlfriend is related to Blake Snell's girlfriend or they're like friends. Cause uh, that's what, that's what I think the connection was there. But uh, cause Blake Snell, he posted the uh, photo with his girlfriend uh, after the game and his girlfriend with Zach Levine and his girlfriend or wife. I'm not really sure. I, I dive that deep, but I did, I did take a little snoop, and uh, that was the connection there. And I mean, Melanson, he's 94th in average exit velocity against him. Like, posing hitters aren't hitting the ball hard. 
I think that people need to realize that now they're, they're finding ways to bloop it and his whiff percentage is really low. Like we mentioned, he's not getting a ton of strikeouts. Like that's pretty common and guys are fouling off pitches and they're putting together long at bats. But uh, I think Melanson is significantly better than what a lot of Potters fans are making him out to be posing batters are not hitting the ball that hard off him. I mean, the Cole Calhoun double is a mistake pitch. Calhoun made him pay, but you know, after that, he got the next three guys out. So uh, you want to see him limit the walks more. I think that's, I think that's his next step in uh, making Potters fans trust him a little bit more is limiting the walks. And limited walks. I mean, that was one of the, one of the main reasons why we lost that game against the A's with two outs walked on four pitches, which you cannot be doing with the chance to close out the game. But if he limits walks, yeah, I mean, I, I know he's not a huge strikeout guy, but his strikeout numbers have been solid. He struck out two on Sunday, but I'm still feeling confident with Melanson and it led to a Padres win. I, I'm confident in Melanson. I don't think there's really anyone on this Padres roster I'd replace him with other than Daniel Hudson, but he uh, he has said in the past, he doesn't like closing games. He wasn't the closer for the Washington Nationals for a reason this year. Like there's a reason that that wasn't the case. He'll do it if he has to, but I really don't think Melanson's that close to being pushed off the closer platform at this point. Like Jace Tingler also made that very clear. And I've stood by a lot of Jace Tingler's decisions. There's been some lineup stuff that I'm like, uh, there's been some bullpen decisions where I'm like, eh. But for the most part, Jace Tingler's done a phenomenal job managing this team. And he's going to keep trotting out Mark Melanson and for a good reason. Like I said, 94th percentile and average exit velocity. They aren't squaring the ball up. They're getting bloops. They're getting ground ball base hits through the hole. That just happens when guys put the ball in play, but they're not hitting the ball hard against him. I think Potter fans need to realize that that's the type of closer Melanson is. He's not going to get the save every single time, but he's going to do it at a higher volume than every other closer is in baseball. That's why he's been super good this year. So that's it on Mark Melanson. But one thing I wanted to bring up, Hassan Kim, he didn't start any of the games this series and the Potters have faced two left-handed starting pitchers. Uh, I, I don't know why Kim didn't start one of these games, but I think that Kim definitely needs to be utilized a little bit more. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, a Hosmer has been swinging a solid bat, but that's the main reason why I do not think Kim was in. Cronenworth had a great series, and Hosmer has been has been hitting the ball well. So that's those are the main reasons right there. I know that with obviously Fernando Tatis Jr. out, so that shortstop spot is I don't want to say open because I know Cronenworth has been playing there, but that's Kim's. That I don't say Kim's spot, but that is Kim's spot to have. If he he just needs to get more reps, and I know he, I don't he's not every single he's not every single day starter, but he would get more comfortable with more reps, hitting the ball better. And I'm fine with him on the bench, but I would have liked to see him start one of these games this series. Even though Cronenworth did have a great series, Hosmer did had a solid series as well. I would have liked to see Kim get some appearances. I think that he should definitely be against those lefties and especially against the lefty like Madison Bumgarner, who only throws 90 miles an hour. Those are the guys that Kim thrives against. And because those are the guys that he was more similarly facing in Korea. And he put together a great plate appearance off the bench Saturday night, working a walk that like kept that rally going. I don't want to say kept it alive. Cause I think at that point there were no outs or even just one out, but, uh, and he doesn't get, more playing time because of that. Like that, that's a way to reward a guy and get him going. And I mean, I think that you could really play him at short. 
Cronin worth at first against the lefty, especially like Madison Bumgarner. And Eric Cosmer, he did get a hit, but he went one for three with a strikeout. And his first two at-bats were pretty pathetic in that game. So, uh, and he, then he got caught stealing later in the game. So it got, it got erased. Like, get, get Kim some more playing time while Tatis is out because Potter's invested a lot of money in him. He's not just like randomly going to get playing time. It's the situations like this where you can find spots to play him. I think the Potter should have capitalized because when Tatis comes back, if he plays the infield, we the, his playing time could be really limited. And that's another thing I want to talk about. Fernando, he's going to come back soon at some point this week. Uh, he'll be eligible on either Monday or Tuesday because his injury dated back to last Friday and then 10 days. But whether or not he comes back right away is yet to be foreseen. But he, he's mostly been taking reps in the outfield, catching fly balls during batting practice and whatnot. What do you make of that situation? Because I, I personally, I think Fernando could be a really good outfielder, but I think the Potters also want to keep trying him at shortstop because that's his natural position. I'm not too, I'm not for or against it really. I would like to see him stay at the shortstop position, but we do know that with the injury, that's how a lot of the errors have come. And he also is not the best fielder in general. His numbers have been weird. Last year, he was one of the best fielders in the league statistically. And this year, he's become one of the worst statistically. But it was re- I think it was really just mental thing with his shoulder and just the way he was throwing it. But if we did move him to the outfield, I do not, do not want him in center. I mean, we have a gold glove, gold glover in Trent Grisham man in center who should stay there. There's no reason to move him around, but Fernando is fast enough. He's athletic enough and his instincts, I bet would be great in the outfield. I know that if we put him in left or right, I th- do think he would, would thrive there better than fam, better than Profar. And honestly, I'm, I, I'm would be kind of excited to see him and play in the outfield for a game. Right. And I'm not sure if they're going to do this. This is just what we've seen. And to be honest, I think he'd probably end up playing right field uh, is where he would be. We've seen his arm strength, uh, his arm accuracy, of course, is, uh, as we've seen, not great. But I think that's just because he gets uh, – he, he's it's in his head. Like, we've talked about it. It's yips. Uh, but if you put him in the outfield, I think that kind of goes away. You kind of let that arm show. You let him run out there. You can let Grisham fade a little bit more towards left field. So, that way, you know, you got that knowledge in the back of your head that, hey, we got Fernando who's just so fast out there in the outfield that he can go run stuff down. And I feel like he would also be a guy who like doesn't drift to fly balls and give me a, give me nightmares about it. Like he'd just run and get to the spot because he's so fast. I mean, that's just me assuming, but I feel like that's an assumption that has uh, some weight to it. Cause I mean, we have seen him run down pop flies in the infield, but uh, I think that it's definitely plausible and we've talked about it with Keith Law on the East Village Times podcast. And some evaluators think that CJ Abrams, even coming into the year, is a better defender at shortstop than Fernando Tatis Jr. So I think those talks of moving Fernando to the outfield really gained a lot of weight, seeing him take reps in the outfield and knowing that CJ Abrams is going to be a plus defender at shortstop, knowing that Ah Sung Kim is a really good defender at shortstop. They have other options that they can play there if they want to put Tatis in the outfield and it could just be something starting next year, Tommy fam, he's a free agent. Jerickson Profar has a player option that, I mean, I assume is getting it picked up because he's not getting $7 million from someone this off season, unless he performs really well down the stretch, which by all means would be fantastic. But 
there are some openings that could open up in the outfield for this upcoming year. And I mean, Jorge Onya is a guy who could also fill in for them, but he's currently on the injured list and no one really knows what his injury status is because there hasn't been much news on him lately. But I think Fernando could be playing in the outfield sometime soon for the San Diego Padres, which would not make a lot of Padres fans happy because he's been so good at shortstop for them. But a lot of people have said, well, the centerpiece, you know, shortstop such a high, like touted position, but like Ronald Acuna Jr. And Mike Trout play shortstop and that doesn't stop them from being superstars. And just because they're not playing the premier position of shortstop, I don't think it really means anything. And I just got a vision once you mentioned CJ Abrams. I mean, a Padres lineup with Fernando Tatis Jr. and right, maybe Adam Frazier at second, Cronworth at first, CJ at shortstop. If we can get maybe get Hosmer's contract out of the way, that looks like a beautiful, beautiful lineup, beautiful outfield. And I just can't wait for CJ Abrams to become a San Diego Padre. But with, with Tatis Jr., I'm I'm open to the idea. I would like to see him out there for a few games. It would look super weird at first. I mean, for the past two and a half seasons, we've seen him at shortstop only, of course. So it would be weird at first, but I'm open to the idea and let's see, let's see if it could work. Like I said, I have no idea if this is going to happen. I'm just telling you that they've been giving him reps out in the outfield. That's probably nothing you already know in our thoughts on that. All right, let's move in and let's preview this upcoming series against Miami Marlins. Marlins, the last time the Padres faced them, it was pre-trade deadline. They moved on from a couple of players in their bullpen into the outfield, Adam Duvall and Starling Marte. So team, it's worse than when the Padres split with them, but it's now going to be in San Diego for a three-game series, not a four-game series like it was last time. And the starters for this upcoming series, they're not really set in stone yet. Joe Musgrove, he will start on Monday, and it's going to be Ryan Weathers' turn in the rotation on Wednesday. and. Jace Tingler said in his post-game press conference following Sunday's victory that he is leaning towards Craig Stamen, but he wasn't going to announce that yet because he wants to see how Monday ends up playing out. Craig Stamen, we have seen start before for the Padres, but that is the tentative plan. And then for the Miami Marlins, their rotation is also not set in stone. And for them, they could be going with Zach Thompson on Monday. And then Sandy Alcantara on Wednesday, and we don't really know who they're going to be going to on Tuesday. But that is what the starting pitching matchups look like right now. What are your thoughts on these? Yeah, I mean, this isn't exactly the, the, our best guys out on the mound, but against the Miami Marlins, I'm fine with it. Uh, I know we did split with them last time, winning the first two and then losing the last two. That was a disappointing end to the series. But Musgrove's been pitching phenomenal his last three starts. He's gone six innings, one run, seven innings, shutout, and six innings, two runs. So he's gotten his his mojo back. Same with Snell, same with Darvish, and hopefully that they can keep this momentum up. Craig Stammen, before he blew up on Friday, allowed four hits and two runs in the loss of the D-backs. He hadn't allowed an earned run since July 11th. He has had many appearances, all out of the bullpen mostly, but before his appearance against the D-backs, he, he's been pitching great baseball. I mean, getting a lot of ground balls, that's what Stamen does. But having him start, having a little bullpen day, that's just going to put a lot more pressure on Weathers to get deeper into the game. He hasn't gone past the fifth inning since 
in his last four starts and he's his last two have been really tough. His ERA is up to 4.26 and he has allowed six runs and three innings and eight runs and four innings his last two starts. So we have a bullpen day with Stammen. We're going to need Weathers to go a little bit deeper in the game than he usually goes. I think they're also just going to need a good start out of Musgrove on Monday, just so that way they can save the bullpen. Cause I think that the plan would be to save like Miguel Diaz and save Reese Kinnair and save Craig Stammen on Monday for Tuesday. But you also want to try and win Monday. And if Joe Musgrove doesn't have it, it's got to be all hands on deck. And then they could like call someone up from AAA or whatnot. But it is, it's going to be a tough series because they don't have that fifth starter right now with Chris Paddock on the injured list. I assume they're hoping they can get him back before Sunday's game, but because that would be the next time that spot comes up in the rotation. But they're going to need guys to step up. And oftentimes the bullpen pitchers have stepped up for the San Diego Padres and they're going to need it again. This keeps coming up all around Padres Twitter inside a bunch of Padres fans' heads. I know we're in no rush too, but this would seem like a good series to, you know, bring up a certain prospect named Mackenzie Gore. I know that he is not ready yet and I don't want to rush him into it at all, but with Musgrove and then bullpen day and then Weathers, seems like it could be a possible time to call up Gore, but Padres fans know that he's not ready to pitch in the majors yet and I don't want to rush him up, but it was in my head and it was in a lot of Padres fans' heads entering this next series. It's really not just because he hasn't pitched in a game in a long time. Uh, word is that he's going to be moving back to AAA soon, and maybe he can make an appearance later in the season with the San Diego Padres. But uh, rumors are that he has like put himself more back to where he was in the 2020 spring training and like pre-pandemic than where he has been since then. But that's yet to be seen. Uh, at any of the games because he hasn't pitched in a game in a long time, but he's been working at Arizona. So he's not going to get called up at least for another couple of weeks because that just would be unfeasible. But the, they have guys at the major league level, like Reese Kinnair, who they've called up. They have Miguel Diaz, who they've called up to two starts like this. They have Craig Stammen, who's done it before in the past, including game three of the wildcard series against the Cardinals. So they have options here. You'd like to see it go Stamen and Canair and maybe Diaz for at least six innings, but you never know. Cause if one of those guys doesn't have it, you don't want to keep forcing them out there, but you want to see those guys not pitch on Monday so they can pitch on Tuesday. And the Marlins, they just got swept. They were playing in at Coors field uh, and their pitching was not looking good at all. They allowed 14 runs, seven runs and 13 runs, but the guys that are th- throwing up for this series have been pitching Pretty good baseball so far this year. Zach Thompson has a 2.53 ERA and a 1.10 whip. He hasn't allowed more than uh, four and run more than three earned runs all season. And he's been going somewhat not too deep into games, but he's getting to the fifth, sixth inning in most of his starts. He's coming off a four run or sorry, a four inning to run start uh last Wednesday. So he's young, he's 27, and he's been having a solid season. Sandy Alcantara, he did not pitch against the Padres in that last series, but he is uh, currently has a 3.70 ERA, was at 3.12, just got ballooned in that last series uh, against the Rockies. 10 hits, 10 runs in three and two-thirds innings, and that was coming right after a seven-inning shutout 
performance against the Yankees, but the guys that the Marlins are throwing out, uh, we don't know for game two yet, or is not announced on ESPN.com yet, but two solid guys are going out for the Marlins this series. And it should be interesting to see how the Padres lineup does against them. Yeah. And looking at Alcantara or he's been a lot worse on the road than he has been at home. And like you said, part of that is because he just allowed 10 runs at Coors and Padres fans are very familiar with the Coors effect and how it's just, it's not fun for, for pitchers and especially some recent Padres pitchers, but 4.86 ERA on the road and a 2.58 ERA at home. So very clearly takes advantage of Marlins park being a pitcher's park. We see Peco park. It's kind of in the middle now. It's not anywhere near the pitcher's park that it used to be, but Alcantara see if they can get to him when he's on the road. And especially with Orion Weathers, hopefully making a bounce back start against the Marlins. So we already talked about it or we mentioned it, how their team, a little bit of a different team since the last time the Potters faced them because they have traded away some of their players. And you look at their offense, you look at some of their key contributors that are still there. They still have Aguilar. They still have Alfaro, their catcher who hasn't been that good. They still have Jazz Chisholm who was off the injured list and will be ready for the series. They still have Miguel Rojas, who's been good. And they still have Corey Dickerson and Brian Anderson. But that's about it. A lot of their key contributors are gone or they're on the injured list, like Garrett Cooper or Jesus Sanchez. Uh, those guys are not playing right now. Uh, Lewis Brinson has been playing good baseball as of late, so that'll be a name to watch out for. But the Marlins, they're a little bit of a different team. Yeah, and... Uh... With Charlotte Marte gone, I mean, he was one of their best hitters for this season. And at, once he got traded, he started going on a super hot streak. But Aguilar has 20 RBIs on, sorry, has 20 home runs on the year, 79 RBIs with an 815 OPS. Garrett Cooper has an 845 OPS. And Chisholm, you mentioned him, he, he's hitting 252 this year, 11 home runs, not, not the strongest power back, but solid bad overall. But I mean, this team, Padres, if we don't win, at least two of these games. Of course, it'll be a disappointing series. We'd love for a sweep, but not too confident with Stammen and Weathers starting these games. But like you said, if we can get Diaz, Kinnair, Stammen to go two innings each, maybe one run each, I, if we can have a solid bullpen day, that will be big for this series. But Padres have to win two of these games. Definitely. Looking at the bullpen, like I said, they've traded away some of their better relievers. They traded away John Curtis. I forget where he went. That's not important to this podcast right now. And then they traded away Yumi Garcia, who'd been doing the majority of their closing work. Dylan Floro has four saves. Anthony Bender has two saves. Those are two guys that have stayed on their roster. But Yumi Garcia, he got traded to the Houston Astros. So some of their best relievers are gone. So the bullpen is not as good. The bullpen was one of the parts of the Marlins to give the Padres struggles. They weren't able to come back. In that one game where the umpire just absolutely killed the Padres in game three of the series. And then when the Padres were falling behind in game four of the series, they couldn't make a comeback against the bullpen and the game got away from them. So that is something to watch out for is those bullpen. It's uh, or it's their bullpen. It's not as good as it was the first series. Like I said, this team, it's not good and it got worse at the trade deadline. They're currently 47 and 65 and got worse. So, and they're also coming off a just brutal sweep at Coors Field. So they're 
morale probably isn't that high. And the Potters, they really need it in, in game one. Do exactly how you started off game one against the Diamondbacks. You know, put five runs on them early. Let's pound them into the ground. But then once that happens, don't let them get back up. Okay, the, the Marlins, it's like you catch them on the fish. You catch them on the fish. Shows you how little I know about fishing. You catch them on the rod and you get you got them. You got them hooked in. You can't let them go. You can't let them go. You got to keep reeling them in. Uh, you know, you got to pull, you got to pull on the fishing rod. You got to reel it in. You got to do what you got to do to beat them. And you can't let the fish get off. There's my analogy. Yeah, and that's all you got to do, Dom. Just pull in the fish, catch on the wire, and then just keep reeling them in. But Putter's got to win two out of three here. And uh, I mean, not too com- as confident as I would be, uh, but if we get classic Musgrove, get a quality stamina and uh, early in the season weathers, Padres should be looking at a sweep here, but got to win two and they'll be happy with that. Yeah. It's a series that two out of three is the bare minimum and you'd like to sweep. I mean, I think it's one of those series and especially with the way that the Padres have been playing, you know, missing some opportunities. This is an opportunity for the Padres to gain some ground because if you sweep, you gain ground. Whether it's you not lose ground or whether it's you gain some ground because the Giants lose. The Giants only play two games this upcoming series. Uh, I don't know who the, the Dodgers, they go out east. I know that uh, they have a three-game series against the Mets, which sucks because the Mets are playing horrible baseball right now. Uh, classic of the Potters to play when they're doing good and the Dodgers to go out there when they're not playing well. And then the Reds, they play the Phillies at some point this week. So there's going to be some opportunities hopefully for some of these teams to start losing and the Potters to hopefully keep winning. And eventually in two weeks time now, we'll be talking about a series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And in just about a month, we'll be talking about some series against the giants. And those are the really, those are the real opportunities to gain ground on the giants and the Dodgers, because you don't have to scoreboard watch whether or not they're winning or losing, but these are some opportunities to gain ground before those series. So now it's really not as much of must win, even though it will be. And I was talking to my cousin on Sunday, uh, we're talking about the Padres and then he's like, Oh, did the Dodgers win? Yep. Did the Reds win? Yep. Did the Giants win? Yep. Whenever the Padres win, it seems like every other team just keeps winning. It's hard for us to gain ground, but the Giants hot, the Dodgers hot. And the Reds, as of Sunday night, they won five in a row, and they're creeping up on us. We're closer to the Reds than we are to the Dodgers right now. But just don't worry about any other teams too much right now and just focus on a Padres win day by day. Yep, it's going to be a fun series. It's going to be my last series in San Diego. I know that I will be in the crowd for the Arizona Diamondbacks games in Arizona. I assume that you'll be there with me. I can't speak for you, but we need to figure out that ticket situation because we need to be loud and supporting the Padres on the road. And I mean, there's going to be seven games in the month. I mean, technically they play September 1st in Arizona, but seven games in the next month in Arizona for us to be able to go to potentially, I do have an internship out there. So I don't know if I'll be able to get to the games in the final series, but uh, opportunities for us to see our Padres on the road for one last time. And just in general for one last time, because uh, I don't think I'm coming back to San Diego for any playoff games, which or just any games in general, which is sad, but I think it's just what's going to happen. Yeah, well, I can't wait to go to those games in Arizona. We'll be at all of, if not most of them, and I can't wait to be back and have you back out there, Dom, but go Padres. Yep, that's going to wrap up this episode of Devils Talking Padres. Thank you all for tuning in. 
to listen to this recap of the series against the Arizona Diamondbacks and the preview of the series against Miami Marlins. Make sure to check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. I just wrote an Aztec season preview. We've just been doing it by class. So if you want to learn more about the Aztecs junior class and future classes, make sure to check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. Doing a great job of covering the Aztecs better than the other local papers and uh, media companies. That's for sure. Also Potter's content every day. So definitely make sure to check that out. Make sure to follow Bobby and I on Twitter. You can find me at DM Stern 19. You can find Bobby at Bobby Murphy 2000. Check out what we're tweeting about. It's mostly Padres at this point, but it's also our other thoughts on everything else. And with that, we thank you for tuning in. Make sure to follow or subscribe to us on your podcast platforms to make sure you don't miss another episode of Devil's Talking Padres. We'll catch you all next time. Thank you for tuning in.